Welcome to Behind the Curtain, LA Opera's podcast series in which we look deeply at the creative process and explore opera's enduring themes and power to move us. In this podcast discussing Il Trovatore, Dr. Naomi Andre analyzes, through letters between Giuseppe Verdi and librettist Salvatore Camarano, the qualities of Asucena that make her one of the most complex characters in Verdi's operas. Dr. Andre is a professor in the Department of Afro-American and African Studies, Women's Studies, and the Residential College at the University of Michigan. Her research focuses on opera and issues surrounding gender, voice, and race in the U.S., Europe, and South Africa. This discussion, titled Surviving Opera, Verdi's Asucena from Il Trovatore, was recorded for LA Opera Connect's professional development series for teachers, Opera for Educators. Thank you so much for inviting me here for that warm introduction. It is such a pleasure to be here, and I'm thrilled to speak with you about an opera I care really deeply about. And I have enjoyed Il Trovatore for many years. In fact, my doctoral dissertation way back in the 1990s was on the operas of Giuseppe Verdi, specifically with a focus on his writing for women's lower voices, the mezzo-sopranos. And I have three case study chapters on operas that had mezzos in leading roles, including Azucena in Il Trovatore from 1853, The Princess Eboli in Don Carlos from 1867, and Amneris in Aida from 1871. So today I'm going to talk with you about the character of Azucena and how she fits into Verdi's career with female roles he wrote, a bit about shaping her role in the compositional genesis of Il Trovatore, mainly from Verdi's letters to the librettist and a couple of other people, and others as he was writing the opera. I want to talk about how she's integrated into the opera, share with you some of the fun behind-the-scenes information that you can see with the letters and and then have some time if there's any questions. I'm going to um, start with a few words about Verdi's career. So some of the opening is going to probably go over material you've seen before, but I figure it's probably not a bad idea since nobody's born knowing this stuff, and it's nice to have a little refresher every now and then. Verdi inherited the musical style of the first half of the 19th century. I like to call this the Primo Ottocento, and I'm not the only one early 1800s, um, instead of saying 19th century in Italian, you say sort of the early 1800s, the Primo Ottocento. You might have also heard of this time referred to as the Bel Canto period, and that's totally fine. Just to give you a little background on that, Bel Canto actually in opera refers to the very earliest operas in the 17th and, well, mainly the 17th and into the early 18th century. However, in the time of the early 19th century, a lot of the people back then were saying, yes, we are going back into this beautiful style of singing with more of an emphasis on the voice and all the things it can do. So even in the 19th century, people were saying bel canto to refer to the, the primo ottocento. But I like to use primo ottocento just to make sure we all know what we're talking about. The composers who were setting the tone and those who works are still in the repertory today include Giacchino Rossini, who was born, we think of a trio of these early Primo Ottocento composers. Uh, Rossini was born in 1792. He lived till 1868. However, he stopped writing operas 
1829. His last opera was Guillaume Tell, William Tell. And so when we think of him, yes, he's very much a present throughout the second, the beginning of the second half of the 19th century. But in terms of operas and contributing to the style, he's done by 1830. There's then um, Gaetano Donizetti, born next in 1797. And he died in 1848. And he was writing operas pretty much through near the time of his death through the 1840s. And then Vincenzo Bellini, who is um, sadly only lived the shortest time period here. He died of some terrible intestinal problems, way too young. But his dates are 1801 to 1835. So I'm talking about these first years. Verdi starts writing operas in the 1840s. His first opera is from 1839, but <laughs> most of them were in the 40s in this early period. And I want to talk about, with Verdi, how his compositional output is usually divided. You have, not a surprise, early, middle, and late. And Il Trovatore falls into a special place. This is a part where we have three operas called the Middle Trilogy, and that is of Trovatore, Rigoletto and uh, La Traviata. This middle trilogy, it shows a connection to the past and the Primo Cento, but it also begins to show Verdi doing really interesting things that are going to become more emblematic of his style. And especially important is how he inherits the conventions, the traditions, the forms of the Primo Ottocento and then moves into sort of changing them, breaking them. He never really abandons them completely, or at least through just about all of his operas, you can see them, they're there, but he's altering them. And so this is a big thing with Verdi's operas, that throughout his career, he inherits the musical forms of the past from the Primo Tocento, Rossini, Bellini, Donizetti, but he's pushing these forms forward to make things more theatrical and dramatic. Most people, scholars and fans, think of Rigoletto and Traviata as being the more progressive of the middle trilogy operas, and that's not untrue by any means. Trovatore, though, I would say it's a little misunderstood. It has a bizarre story, which is true, it's kind of crazy, and it's a little old-fashioned in how it uses form. However, what I want to help you understand is that Trovatore is very novel for the character of Azucena and how Verdi was balancing themes around gender, the relationship between two leading female roles with Leonora and Azucena, and then just exactly the type of character he wanted in Azucena. And we're going to look into his letters to see him struggling and sort of working, talking about this and figuring out what he wanted. talk about sort of thinking about the compositional process and how Azucena is featured. So at this point in his career, Verdi was an experienced and successful composer. He had over 15 operas under his belt. Another really important thing and a nice thing for us as scholars is that he bought property in Busetto, which is in the Lombardy area, not too far from Milan. 
1849, he bought a big piece of property and he built his villa, his home, called Santa Agata. And that's where he would live for the rest of his life. Why this is so wonderful for Verdi, but particularly nice for us as scholars, is because then he's in one place, he's not traveling, and all of his materials are kept together. We have a bunch of his letters, we have a bunch of his manuscript scores. There's sort of an issue there where it has been hard to gain access to Verdi scores. However, just a couple of years ago, the Italian government has interceded and has made these things like he's a national treasure, so trying to make the state of his estate more accessible. Okay, let's talk about Salvadore Camarano. Verdi is at a point where he has worked with Camarano before. We'll talk about that. But he's definitely the junior composer to the man of the theater Camarano was. However, Verdi is, he knows what he wants. He's figuring out sort of what his own voice is. Salvadore Camarano um, was very experienced as having lots of successes, working with Donizetti on Lucia de Lamamor from 1835, and he worked with many other composers. Sadly, though they were leading in their time, they're forgotten today. So Giovanni Pacini and Salvadore Mercadante are two of the very, he has a lot of collaborations with them. Camarano was based in the south, southern Italy, and connected to the royal theaters in Naples, and one of the leading theaters in Italy from the very beginning of opera in the 17th century, and it's still an important house today, is the San Carlo, and that was connected to the royal family. He was the uh, Il Poeta, the resident librettist there, so he had a, a very prestigious job. Verdi and Camarano had collaborated on libretti before, there's Alcira, their first opera, which actually wasn't such a huge success, but that was from 1845 at the San Carlo. La Battaglia di Legnano, which is from 1849, that was actually at the Roman Theater in uh, Teatro Argentina. And then um, Louisa Miller from 1849, and that was at the San Carlo. Finally, there's Il Trovatore, and there was talks about having that at the uh, San Carlo. It ended up not being at the San Carlo, and that was actually one of the sort of, sort of issues, one of the tricky things. We also know that Camarano, I had mentioned earlier, that Verdi and Camarano in 1850-51 were working on an adaptation of Shakespeare's King Lear, Re Lear, as it's referred to in their letters, and it was never completed. However, and I don't have time to read this letter, but there's a poignant letter where it turns out Camarano has passed away at this point. So in August of 1852, where Verdi writes to Camarano and says, okay, things are going really well and let's definitely continue with King Lear. But sadly, as we know, Camarano, he died right near the end of the completion of Trovatore. So I want to mention just a couple of troubles that Verdi had as he was working with Antrovatore with Camarano. The biggest problem, and I'm gonna spend some time on this, we'll see it through the letters, and this is the most important issue, is that Verdi was at a point in his career where he wanted to do innovative things with the story. Camarano was more traditional, and he was from an older generation. And so we're gonna see a little tussle between them. Although Camarano was still an incredibly smart, savvy person about drama, and we'll see that too. 
The second thing is, so the first was that Verdi was really wanting to push and do new things. Camerano was kind of, was a bit more hesitant. The second thing is Camerano's death made things hard for finishing the opera. The libretto wasn't entirely finished. Verdi was still composing the music. Things were still undergoing revisions. And so with Camerano's death in um, July 17th, 1852, the um, Verdi needed to work with somebody else and sort of finish it up. Additionally, by having Camerano pass away, having the opera performed at the San Carlo was not as easy. And there's a whole lot of stuff around where do we place it? How do we find singers? What's going on? So there's a rich body of um, correspondence about this. The opera premiered at the Teatro Apollo in Rome, and they had worked together. Remember, there was La Battaglia di Langhiano from 1849 at the um, Teatro Argentina in Rome. But this was, um, that was an earlier Verdi Camerano collaboration. But this one ended up being at the Apollo um, in Rome, January 19th, 1853. After Camerano died in July 17 of 1852, Verdi worked with a student of Camerano's, Leone Emanuele Bardare. And so he was definitely um, not as experienced as his teacher. And they made very few changes out of respect for Camerano. Though we still see Verdi sort of pushing a few things, particularly with having Azucena as a, a central character. And um, not Leonora. And though I don't have time to go through this, there are letters where Verdi is saying that Leonora is more of a comprimaria at first, which is a second role. You have the um, sort of the prima donna or if it, and something inherited from the prima ottocento is that sometimes you had more than one leading lady. After 1850, this becomes more rare. But an exciting thing that we have with Verdi is he has these two women operas where you have a strong mezzo and a strong soprano. Hence, Azucena and Leonora eventually became a prima donna um, in that we, we see that Verdi finally acquiesced that, yes, we need to have a more traditional um, heroine. Eboli and Elisabetta in Don Carlos and Amneris and Aida. These works are the works I focused on so many years ago when I was doing my doctoral research. Having two leading women was not so unusual in the Primalto Cento, and that's something that was inherited. But he had these women do different things. So let's talk about those. I want to talk about three, um, we're gonna look at some excerpts from a letter that Verdi wrote to Camerano on April 9th, 1851. Okay, Verdi writes to Camerano and he says, if we cannot retain all the novel and bizarre characteristics of the Spanish play in our vision, it is better to give it up. And I've given you the original um, Italian, um, not that I'll, I'll have the space to do that, but I wanted you to see, um, con tutta la novità e bizzarria del drama spagnolo, e non si varvi. And so he's like, we need to keep this sort of something new and different. So this is signaling that Verdi was looking at the Spanish play, The El Trovador by Antonio Garcia Gutierrez. And the play originally was performed in 1836 in Spain. Verdi is saying, hmm, there's something different here. Let's, let's keep, let's hold on to it. And then Verdi says, later in the letter, if I am not mistaken, 
Some scenes do not have the power and originality that they had before. And Azucena especially does not retain her strange and novel, and I've given you the Italian, strano e nuovo, character. It seems to me that the two great passions of this woman, filial love and maternal love, are no longer present in all their force. And in the original letter, Verdi underlines filial love and maternal love. This is after, so how libretti were written is the composer and the librettist would agree on a topic, and then the librettist would send a type of scenario, sometimes called the programma, sort of an outline. And so Verdi's responding to the outline that Camarano sent him. And this was a way for them to, the librettist would sort of break things into the different acts, would give like, here's a chorus, here's a a duet, here's an aria. And so the composer would get a sense and be at before the librettist went to all the trouble of versifying the full libretto. Then later in this letter, Verdi continues to Camerano. Verdi continues and says, my first suspicion that you didn't like this play now seems confirmed. And we can see this, his sort of suspicions unfolding over the letter. If this is the case, we still have time to think of a substitute. This is April 9th, um, 1851. Rather than that, than have you do something that doesn't appeal to you, I've prepared another subject, simple and passionate, and which can be said to be almost finished. If you wish, I'll send it to you and we'll forget Il Trovatore. Write me a word about it. And if you have a subject, tell me what it is. So we hear in that Verdi say, you know, I don't think you like this. Um, we still have time for a substitute. So I don't want you to do something you don't like. You know, you're the older, more senior person here. I'm trying to be um, respectful of you. I have another idea. Sadly, we don't know what that was. But if you or if you have an idea, you know, send me word about it. But if we're going to do this, I really want us to be committed is what we get in Verdi's letters. Later in that letter, this is a fabulous letter, and I don't, sadly, I'm not able to, you know, give you the full thing, but Verdi writes, and he says to Camarano, don't have Azucena go mad. Exhausted with fatigue, suffering terror, and sleeplessness, she speaks confusedly. Her faculties are weakened, but she is not mad. This woman's two greatest passions, her love for Manrico and her wild thirst to avenge her mother, must be sustained until the end. When Manrico is dead, her feeling of revenge becomes stupendous, and in the utmost agitation she cries, yes, he was your brother, you fool, mother, you are avenged. So at the very end of the opera, after Manrico has been beheaded and or executed, and the Luna is right there, and so, you know, it has this rather brutal, fast ending. But Verdi is saying, don't make her go crazy. And then we now have a letter where Camerano is responding to Verdi. Verdi wrote in um, the beginning of April, April 9th, and here we have Camerano responding April 26th, 1851. And these are excerpts. Camerano says, Azucena, here is where we differ, but perhaps more in appearance than anything else. You lament mightily that the character of Azucena no longer has the force and originality it had before, and that she's demented in the final scene. As for her force, I have shown you that in my scenario, her desire for vengeance shines forth, giving strength to her character. And as for originality, what have I omitted or added? You don't want her demented in the final scene. 
Well, then it is you who wish to deviate completely from the original. The closer the actress seems to be telling the truth, the more Manrico seem, will seem to play the part of the imbecile. <laughs> the less clearly ascertainer reasons for the more rational drama, the more rational the drama seems. I don't intend, by the way, that Azucena be insane at times. Her mind wanders when she recalls the horrendous catastrophes endured by her mother and her son. So it's great to get this interchange between Verdi and Camarano. So we get to see sort of what this working relationship was like. Camarano challenges Verdi's idea about Azucena and leaves a question, an opening for us today in her interpretation. Camarano was used to an older time when mad scenes were quite the norm. In fact, remember, he wrote the quintessential mad scene for Lucia with Donizetti um, that was premiered in 1835. But that's about 20 years earlier, and madness seems to be having a different meaning or a different place on the stage, at least in Verdi's mind. Verdi seems to be moving away from a character who can be written off as mad. Instead, he wants Azucena to be novel and even bizarre. Remember from that earlier part in his letter. He wants her to be driven by her passions that conflict, her love for her mother and her love for her son. So Verdi sees that the drama is being tightened and sharpened by having these two things come into conflict. So rather than the larger conflict of, okay, Leonora wants to marry Manrico, De Luna wants to marry Manrico. So while we have these sort of big love triangles where conflict is usually defined in opera, one of the things, the special things Verdi is doing here is he's making individual characters more complicated. To write Azucena off as just being crazy is something Verdi's like, no, you can't do that. That weakens her. And Camarano is saying, okay, we can't, I, I'm not interested in having her crazy the whole time. Yet she goes back and forth between this kind of being in a present moment and being in a confused other moment. So let's talk just to review the plot a little bit. Why do these things, her love for her mother and Azucena's love for her mother and her love for her son, how do they conflict? Well, remember in the pre-complicated prehistory, which we hear from Ferrando's narrative up front in the first act, and we hear in Strida La Vampa and her racconto in the second act, that Azucena threw the wrong baby into the fire. And that is never to imply there is ever a right baby to throw into the fire. We, you know, no, throwing any baby into the fire is totally awful. However, Azucena had stolen the Count's baby and that's the one she meant to kill. And instead, when, you know, the craziness of the fire, as she remembers her own mother's 
mother being burned at the stake, she threw her own baby accidentally into the fire. Hence, Manrico is really De Luna's brother, but is raised as Azucena's son. So this is like the crazy, bizarre, dark story that's connected with Trovatore and makes it very hard to explain to people. And the way you have it sort of told through these narratives. Interestingly enough, when Verdi set another Gutierrez play, um, Simón Bocanegra, he added a prologue to the play or to the opera. So you have all this sort of prehistory and then, so you start out like 20 years before, or you start out in one time and then the beginning of the first act after the prologue is 20 years after the prologue. So these plays um, seem to be hooking into this idea of a prehistory that is being dealt with and is troubling the present. Okay, so today, when we're thinking about Azucena, I want to urge you to think that there is room for interpretation. How should she be portrayed? She is in the thick of living between the past and the present. It shows us that Azucena is a complex character. These letters show that both Verdi and Camerano were interested in having the drama be powerful. And this female character needs to be taken seriously. She seems to be the crux on how these, the, the conflicts, this inner conflict that she has develops for the rest of the characters. Rather than descending into an incomprehensible madness, Azucena seems to be locked in a state of trauma where she relives the past and as well as trying to move into the present. Now, I will say this is it's fun to return to this material for me because madness in opera is such a trope. But this madness for Camarano and Donizetti in 1835 with Lucia de Lamamore is different than a sort of type of madness in 1852 and 53 between Verdi and Camerano. And madness in opera is different with Electra, let's say with Hofmannsthal and Strauss in 1909, when you've got, you know, the big Electra opera and Electra just kind of loses it at the end. So finding how women are portrayed, what's happening. I don't know if all of you have kept up with some of this recent research, but I'm just beginning to read information on trauma. And there's a wonderful book called The Body Keeps the Score. And it talks about how when we have gone through traumatic events, there are case studies from war veterans from the Second World War and Vietnam War, as well as people who are survivors of sexual violence, that sometimes when these events are so traumatic, the body has encoded some of these things and the mind doesn't know how to work it out. And so interestingly with this book, it says that talk therapy alone just helps people relive the trauma and not get past the trauma. So I, I bring this up to talk about how trauma, doing things that don't look rational, feeling horrific events, might be a way into thinking about Azucena you know, having a modern idea put back on the past, like she's, she's gone through something horrible. She saw her mother burned at the stake for having the um, exoticism of the Romani people, or Roma, as they're called. These were the uh, just terrible things that were done to people from the Roma people come from Egypt and India, and they're in different parts of um, Europe. 
So it wouldn't be uncommon for a, a type of Romani person. I feel very nervous about using the word gypsy because it really is seen as a racial slur um, as we use it today. However, that is the word that Verdi used, and it hooks into that ethos of here is a, a racialized ethnic, ethnic other. And so they are not fully to be trusted, and bad things happen to them. And here we have a humanized version of this other where she doesn't know what to do. I love the idea of thinking about Azucena as somebody who is complicated who does terrible things, but there's a reason for it. And her response is not just, I'm doing the noble moral thing, but I'm so human because I'm in the thick of it and we get to see this. I want to spend just a moment talking about casting Azucena and some words that, we, that also flesh out a bit with her character. We have Verdi uh, writing to Camerano. This is time in um, September, the 9th of September, 1851. Rome and, and Verdi writes to Camerano, Rome and Venice have asked me for an opera. For singers, Rome offers me Signora Di Giuli, Fraschini, and Collini. Venice, Signora Frezzolini, and Colletti. The Roman company is more suitable for Il Trovatore, and this is my emphasis, but they don't have an actress for Azucena. This is for this Azucena, whom I care about so much. He then says, it seems it will to be the uh, Signora Gabusi would do the part very well, but I don't know whether she is under contract or free, either in Naples or anywhere else. If she were free, I could perhaps get her to sign a contract for Rome. If she is under contract for the San Carlo with the other really fine artists, I should almost be inclined to renew the contract I broke off this winter when I was so irritated by the condescending manner they adopted in offering me the contract. And I love this letter because it shows Verdi, like, how does an opera get performed? Where is it? So he'd worked with San Carlo. There's such a big deal. Camarano, that's his theater. And yet Verdi feels like, oh, they were, they were condescending. No, I don't want to work with them. I could do this in Venice. I could do this in Rome. I don't know what to do. So let's go to this next letter, which I absolutely adore, and I wish we had more. Now, this one is to um, the Prince Joseph Poniatowski, and this is um, somebody Verdi knew. The Joseph Poniatowski was a Polish prince who was based in Florence. Verdi got to know him a bit. I don't know too much about, I don't, there isn't much information about that relationship. But later on, as we're getting close to things, this is after Camerano has died, August 1852. Verdi writes to Poniatowski and Verdi says, thank you for having given me the information about the talents and voice of Signora Goggi. I see there are some difficulties, but that doesn't frighten me. With talent and goodwill, one can succeed. The role I intend for her is strange, original, difficult, if not impossible, for someone with no talent, but easy for anyone who understands. I just love the way Verdi is writing so personally. Um, and since you have been kind as to write me a first time, I hope it won't be too much trouble to write again. Sending me a musical scale covering the whole range of her voice and writing under each note, good, bad weak, strong, etc. If that's too much trouble, Signora Goggi can do it herself without fear of confessing her sins. It will be under the seal of confession and a great help to both her and to me. 
Wow, what a letter. Unfortunately, we do not have the response, whether the Prince Poniatowski um, wrote or Signora Amelia Goggi herself responded to Verdi's request. However, the great news is that indeed it was Amelia Goggi who did get the part and she premiered the role of Azucena. I'm going to um, close, I mean, it just shows you, even in the second half of the 19th century, as we're moving from, I just can't resist going on, like how exciting this letter is, because we know that early on with Baroque opera, that the singers ruled everything. And the composers, the composer knew if a singer had an aria that she didn't like, and it was usually she rather than he or castrato because they were the big rock stars in the 17th into the um, beginning of the 18th century. If a composer wrote an aria that the singer didn't like, the singer said, oh, that's okay. I have a suitcase full of arias. Literally, they were called arie di baule suitcase arias and this is a great aria to showcase me dying or this is a great aria to showcase actually people didn't die in opera that much at that point death in opera happens more after 1830 but this is a great aria to show me mad this is a great aria to show me happy and to be in love or to be in raging so singers would have the power to say, I'm going to use these different arias. And so a composer, even as late as the 19th century, the composer really wants the singer to like the, like to write an aria that fits like a good suit, as Mozart had said once when he was writing Idomeneo. He wants, the composer wants the aria to showcase the singer because you don't want a singer pulling out another aria, though that's much more rare in the 19th century. But if the singer looks good, you look good as a composer. And that means that you can sell different off prints, that, you know, the, you become famous, you get more commissions. So that's good news. But here we have Verdi asking a singer please write the whole range of your um, voice and let me know how each note is so I can make sure to write the best ones. I just love it. We don't get those close glimpses into the compositional process that often. I'm going to end with a letter that Verdi wrote after the premiere of um, Il Trovatore, which had premiered in January of 1853. This is a letter from 18, um, later in 1853 in the spring, and it's about a revival of Il Trovatore for La Fenice in Venice. This is a letter to Francesco Maria Piave, who was Il Poeta for La Fenice. This is the Verdi and Piave had been writing together since Verdi's fifth opera in the 40s, Ernani, um, which was his first opera for La Fenice. And so they were friends, they knew each other. He would sometimes be really stern with Piave about what he wanted, but there was definitely a friendship. So this idea of doing Trovatore for La Fenice and um, this was regarding having Mariana Barbieri Nini sing Leonora. However, she wasn't so happy with some of the arias. Uh, she wasn't thrilled with the role. So what Verdi writes to Piave, he says, if she wants to do Il Trovatore, there's another part, that of the gypsy. Don't talk about the conven convenience or say that it's a comprimaria. So don't talk about the um, sort of the, the formal elements, you know, how it's an exotic role or that it's a small role, a comprimaria. 
back to the letter, Verdi says, no, indeed, it's a principle. And then with his emphasis, he says, the principal role, finer and more dramatic and more original than the other. If I were prima donna, and then in a parenthetical aside, he says, a fine thing that would be, exclamation point, I would always rather sing the part of the gypsy in Il Trovatore. I just wanted to give you a sense of how Azucena was created and it give you a glimpse into how the letters and issues Verdi was thinking about when he was composing this opera. It's fun to see another side of Verdi as a person working with the people that he respected, Camarano, Piave, the Prince Poniatowski, yet also being strong to finding his own voice. And no matter, you know, I love this idea that Verdi is saying, I want to be Azucena. She's the really interesting role. She's the leading role. And this is the one who I, I want to be in Trovatore. Thank you very much. You've been listening to LA Opera's Behind the Curtain. Thank you and see you at the opera.